Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Great Scott Show, the Great Sports Callers Open Think Tank. Coming at you on a Tuesday. What's happening? What's happening? How's everybody doing out there? Got a great show for you this morning. Jay Walker, of course, it's a Tuesday, will join me in the 8 o'clock hour. We'll talk about most overrated in college football's top 25, perhaps most underrated. Terrible tune Tuesday and more. Coming up this hour, Sunbelt Insider Scott Watkins at 7.15 and writer for the Saints Wire and uh, radio host over at ESPN 100.3, Matty Hudak will join me at 7.35 to talk some Saints football. And we've got all of you. Phone lines open uh, in the meantime at 269-1077. Pressure. Who is under pressure? As Sean Young said when she played Finkel and Einhorn, spoiler alert, sorry, Ace Ventura came out 27 years ago. What would you know about pressure? In fact, she said that to one Dan Marino. God, I hadn't seen Ace Ventura in so long. But wh- who is under the most pressure in the NFL in 2021? It's really a two-part question because on one side you have what coach is under the most pressure, and on the other side you have what player is under the most pressure. Call me crazy, and I know you will. I I, I got a list, all right? This guy isn't number one on my list, but don't... Is Aaron Rodgers not under some pressure here? The reigning MVP who threatened to retire... Now back in Green Bay, convincing management to sign players that are his friends. I mean, they might bring Clay Matthews back, creating this whole us-versus-them mentality within the organization between players and front office. Isn't Isn't it a championship or bust? If he has any kind of season that is below expectations, yeah. Now, at the same time, Folks don't look at it that way because they say, well, you know, he's already got a Super Bowl ring. He's an MVP. He's looked at as one of the best. I mean, why, why, would, why would he be under pressure? Just because you got a ring doesn't mean you're not under pressure. For instance, Ben Roethlisberger, the Steelers, right now paying a declining, expensive Big Ben and cap limitations plus his contract really handcuffed Pittsburgh's options and perhaps moving on and going in a different direction of quarterback. Big Ben says he's lost some shape. He's going to, he's working even harder. On one hand, Big Ben has thrived behind a Pittsburgh offensive line that has been below average for the most part. He's able to create big plays. But this feels like the final season for Big Ben in Pittsburgh unless they do something really big. He is on the list, not at the top. In fact, there are a couple of quarterbacks that I think are higher than those two because, I mean, there's Super Bowl champions, winning organizations, 
You talk about QBs under pressure. Matthew Stafford. You trade golf two first-round picks for a 33-year-old that has been putting up Hall of Fame numbers during his career but for a dysfunctional franchise that has Hall of Famers and the greatest players in the history of that franchise retire early in Barry Sanders and Calvin Johnson rather than continue to play for the team. And I, I like Matt Stafford. I do. But this this just fawning of Matt Stafford has just been totally over the line the last month. Last two months. Last three months. I mean, you had Sean McVay out there. I can't. He's the best of the best, man. So happy to have this guy in here and Matt Stafford. I mean, he won't. He just constant. Just, rah, rah, he's the best. He's the best. Now you're just building up even higher expectations. You gave up two first-round picks. The Rams are an experiment in the NFL. An experiment in we are going to spend our money on elite talent and not have much depth at all. At all. I mean if they if they lose one of their starting old linemen, Matt Stafford's probably, I mean, he's, you know, he's at some point gonna be in a in a body cast before the end of the season. And and look, Andrew Whitworth loved the guy. It's not like he's a spring chicken here. You look at that, what the Rams are doing, it's not, they're kind of yinning while other teams are yanging, but they're saying, we're just going to put it all in here. We're not going to invest in high draft picks. We're going to trade them away. We're going to do what we have. We're going to pay the elite talent at the very top. So we might have one of one in Aaron Rodgers. We might have one of one at his position in Jalen Ramsey. We might have really good players there. But next to those guys, yeah, it's not so hot. So coach and player, under the most pressure this year might be Sean McVay. Matt Stafford, tremendous pressure. I would say the most among quarterbacks. Jimmy Garoppolo, a lot of folks are saying that. The clock's already ticking on Jimmy. Jimmy's in a situation where he he's uh, pressure for himself. Right? Like, if he, he struggles a little bit, Shanahan might pull the plug, put Trey Lance out there. I mean, they, but they, they, San Francisco's already invested three first round picks into Trey Lance. So for him, it's kind of like, all right, you guys have already kind of written me off. So if he does play really well, then it just puts pressure on San Francisco. But I, I don't, there's some limitations in Jimmy G's game. His days are already numbered, so I don't look at it as, you know, he's 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 gonna he's gonna be on a different team next year regardless. Daniel Jones is under some pressure. I mean the guy the guy turns it over like at Jameis Winston like rates. I mean, two years in, didn't start what a ton at, at the beginning. He did twenty two interceptions and, and twenty nine fumbles. Those are real numbers there. You talk about just crazy amount. Of turnovers. That'd be Daniel Jones. He's only 24, but he's in New York. That's pressure in and of itself. He's now got Kenny Galladay. He's got a healthy Saquon Barkley. I mean, it's sad to think that the Giants almost got into the playoffs last year at 6-10, and 10, but it almost happened. 
And Sam Darnold's under some pressure here. All this talk of Carolina moving on from Teddy Bridgewater, getting their guy. Sam Darnold's going to be the guy. He has had every excuse in the book. Oh, it's it's, it's the, it was the Jets. It was the Jets. It was the Jets. Let's see how Sam Darnold is in terms of a Joe Brady scheme. It's all about timing. Guys out there, I'm seeing ghosts. Maybe without Greg Williams running all-out blitz packages trying to take out his knees in practice. Maybe that'll help him a little bit. But maybe Sam Darnold was part of the problem with the Jets, and maybe he's not some victim. As far as non-quarterbacks under pressure, it's at the receiver position, and at the top of the list is Odell Beckham Jr. Coming off a torn ACL, he played in just seven games last year. Played really well in those seven games. Really, really well. You could say, oh, well, the numbers were down. The amount of doubles he drew... Double coverages, everything. It, you know, I, I get it led to speculation that the Browns were going to trade him, but wasn't his best statistically in those seven games, but he played well. Maybe really well was pushing it, but he played well. But OBJ's under pressure, one, because of the personality and the attention. Two, because the reality is Cleveland played better and Baker Mayfield played better when Beckham wasn't out there. At least that's the narrative going into this season. When you got a $15 million cap hit in 2022, it's not like teams are going to be looking to trade for that. Julio Jones, I think, is under pressure as well. Now, they didn't trade a first-round pick for him. Tennessee didn't. But 32 years old, high price tag, could have kept Corey Davis... He leaves for the Jets. Could have used those picks in another trade or another area. It's not like Tennessee's defense was good. In fact, quite the opposite. Julio's got to stay healthy, and he's got to perform in Tennessee. There is more. It's all It's all just peaches and cream right now. Pressure? As Sean Young said in the classic film, Ace Ventura, what would you know? about pressure 269-1077-269-1077 you can hit me up on twitter at espn1420 that's our handle uh jake emails says scott is it crazy for me to say bill belichick seems like he's under some pressure here um a little it's a little crazy i mean (laughs) If you're comparing them in in terms of like guys under the most pre- coaches under the most pressure this season, obviously the narrative if he doesn't if the Patriots don't do well will be oh, well Brady made him. I mean, I think I, Belichick clearly is feeling some kind of pressure. The guy's known for you know leading a frugal approach to salaries when it comes to the Patriots and how they attack free agency and whatnot, and they went out and they spent $175 million fully guaranteed on over 25 free agents this offseason. So I would say there's a little bit there. Yeah, there'll be some more, you know, media and fans, blah, 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 but the track record's too, it's just, it's just too good. It's just too good. Cliff Kingsbury has probably the most pressure. It wasn't a good hire to begin with in Arizona. Um, 
Mike McCarthy obviously being in Dallas. Jerry Jones usually shows too much patience with coaches. But, you know, he's not getting younger as Jerry, right? He's 78, and he's throwing salt on McGriddles. Cowboys were 6-10 and 10 last year. Dak, is he back? At least right now it looks like it. Getting paid. ESPN 1420.com. College football top 25 poll came out last night. We'll dig more into that in a moment with Scott Watkins, Sunbelt Insider. Two Sunbelt teams on it, Coastal at 22, Louisiana at 23. The outlook in the Sunbelt this year. Uh, Jay emails the show. Says, pressure Jameis Winston. If he doesn't win this year, his career is over. He didn't win the job this year, you know? <laughs> it's a great point, man. It's a great point. On one hand, you could say, boy, the, the, the stars have aligned pretty nice for Jameis. He gets to go and be Drew Brees' successor with a, a coach that is known around the league as a great offensive mind. He's only 27. He still can really turn his career around. And yet if he can't beat out Taysom Hill, yeah. And if he can't keep the job, if he gets the starting job, yeah. You know, I, I, I'm with you there. There's, from a player standpoint, a lot of pressure on Winston because he does only have one-year deal. ESPN 1420.com. We'll revisit this topic coming up a little later on this hour and in the 8 o'clock hour. More perspective from you. Talk a little college football next with Scott Watson. Matty Hudak of the Saints Wire and ESPN 100.3 in New Orleans will join me at about 7.35, 7.40 this morning. And we will chat about... Is Jameis one of the quarterbacks under the most pressure this year? Who stood out most in camp? Biggest worry, aside from the obvious. We'll dig into that later. Don't go anywhere. It's the Great Scott Show, the Great Sports Callers Open Think Tank. Coming at you on a Tuesday morning. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back right after this. Welcome back into the Great Scott Show. Another Scott joins me now, Scott Watkins. Described as a. Been, uh, you think you've been what now? <laughs> I think I've been on the radio in Lafayette about a million times, but it never gets old. The 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 self described prominent Sunbelt Twitter figure. Now I I think I once called you a Sunbelt insider like a year or two ago, which I'm out of. But I mean, is this is as a free agent reporter? Is that a is that a uh, self given name or is that just what the people gave you? Prominent Sunbelt Twitter figure. Uh, you know, I, th- I think I'm going to give it myself, which is pretty lame, but, <laughs> <laughs> well, you, but yeah, you know, you were, you were a runner up, uh, in your fourth grade spelling bee. My question is what word, like, what did you lose on? Oh yeah. This is a fun one. I lost on alcohol. Oh man. Blame it on the alcohol. Yeah. Hey, what is it? Jeez. Oh, yeah. Now you're going to put me on this. It was A L C O H O L. Yep. That's right. it. I have no idea what I said, but it wasn't that. Well, you know, it's because you were you were a young man that just you stayed away from that kind of stuff, right? I mean, you don't you don't drink anything. Yeah. 
Yeah, I would have gotten it right today, though, that's for sure. Well, I, I've been covering the Cajuns uh, long enough to where we'd visit various sites around the Sun Belt and some of the places. It was a dry county, so if you wanted alcohol, you had to bring mm-hmm. it with you. Um, and now yep. here we are in 2021, and I would say that the Sun Belt now, either the best or second-to-best G5 football conference, uh, make a case of, of why you think it's better than the American and, you know, why do you think, what would it take for, I guess, the rest of college football to view it as such? Okay. Um, better than the American. We would have to stretch quite a ways. I think we've got another year or two to go of just, just solid improvement for that. The, the case there would be the bottom of the Sun Belt has more upwards potential than the bottom of the American. Because in the American, you're looking at East Carolina, uh I don't know if UConn is even still in the American. They're in limbo. It's weird. Yeah. But those teams are just, there's nothing going on there. There's no improvement. There's no willingness to get better. It's just, it's a dark basement that the American has. <clears throat> ULM is a pretty dark basement for the Sun Belt, but I think that's about it. I think you look at Texas State and South Alabama, and you see a willingness, a want, a need, a drive to get better. Both of those programs want their football teams to succeed in a really bad way. So I think that that is where the difference would come. That's where the Sun Belt would, you know, get better than the American Conference is if the bottom of it was also competitive and also winning games outside the league. You almost saw that last year. Texas State almost beat Boston College, for goodness sake. So that's where I think the Sun Belt would be better than the American is it's just a top-to-bottom, more competitive league so ULM plays Temple. Who's winning that that matchup of Goliaths? Uh, if ULM plays Temple, I would have to say that Temple would win. I I don't. <laughs> right now, there's nothing that tells me ULM has some kind of a pulse. Yeah, yeah. I think I think. Look, job well done, Scott. Scott Watkins, our guest, ESPN fourteen twenty. I think you you made the case, but the reality is, it's not the Sun Belt isn't there yet. Um, but I think I think it's getting there, and I think it's come a long way from the days where it was pretty much either them or the Mac as, as the bottom feeder. Um, and that's because of the top of the Sun Belt. But to your point, when you kind of look outside of the top and looking at the East this year, you know, App, Apps, who I think wins the East, Coastal's ranked, you know, 22nd in one poll, 24th in another. They're, they're – they're they're in the mix, uh, but between Georgia State, Georgia Southern, and Troy, I mean, uh, all of those teams I feel like will get a win at some point in conference where they're not favored. Uh, they're good enough to kind of sneak up and, and and bite anybody that's favored against them. And I feel like the race in terms of who who finishes behind App and Coastal is this, you know, maybe maybe the tightest race in in the Sun Belt because in the West. You got Louisiana, then you got a drop off, then you got Arkansas State, and then I think you have a wide drop off for the next three. Am I am I off base in any of that? Do you feel like I'm I'm overlooking someone right now in the conference, either giving someone too much or not enough credit? I would argue that the race for second place in the West is a little bit tighter than that. I don't think there's a massive drop off after Arkansas State. I think that I've actually I'm holding my predictions right now. I had Texas State leading Arkansas State going into the last week. But I love chaos, so I had Arkansas State winning that game and basically finishing the same record. But that's that's how I see the West. I mean, it's Louisiana. Then there's the drop-off. I, I see Arkansas State 
pretty much right at the same level as Texas State and South Alabama. All right, week one, Cajun fans are anxious. They know Louisiana's going to Texas. Um, is there another matchup or two involving Sunbelt teams that you think, all right, come week one here in a couple of weeks, the Sunbelt has a chance to make a big statement on this day if, you know, A, B, and C all occur? The biggest statement outside of Louisiana would be Texas State beating Baylor at home. That would be the uh, the next biggest thing. And then after that, there's not really another statement win opportunity. And I, I'm looking at ULM and Kentucky. I don't count that because that's just that happens in some weird alternate reality that we don't live in. So it's not a game that I'm going to even count here. And then you got Georgia State and Army. That's the next best. That's the, probably the third best game of the day. But uh, yeah, Texas State over Baylor. Texas State gets Baylor at home, so that'll be a fun one, and it will be a uh, it'll be an important one for sure. You know, Baylor is uh, a thirteen and a half point favorite in that one. I thought it would be a little wider than that, um, to be honest. And then I think Louisiana and Texas nine and a half. You know, Texas is ranked uh, two spots ahead of Louisiana in one poll, four in the other. But it's it's preseason polls. It is what it is. Um, it's it's almost like I feel like the name Texas having that behind it means something. Um, and Baylor, despite you know some success in athletics, they're just they're not going to get that kind of um, money attention. You know that 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 Texas is going to get here. How do you feel about the two betting lines in these two games? Uh, from my understanding, Baylor's down bad right now. They're not in a, they're not in good shape, and uh, I I know they're playing Texas State, but I think that Vegas might be looking at some things last year where Texas State played a lot of close games, played several games that they should have won against UTSA, uh, should have beaten Boston College, and and they look at that and then they see this infusion of Power Five players, and you think you know Texas State should be a lot better than that team that they were last year. Maybe they're accounting for some Sun Belt magic that happens every single year, and you've got to pencil it in somewhere. So, hedging your bets maybe by by making that that spread a, a little bit lower than we think. And the Texas is is Texas. You know, they're a little bit overrated every year. They've been ranked in the preseason poll each year since 2017. That's four seasons, and they finished below worse than that ranking three of those four years. So that's just that's just how preseason Texas football works, you know. They always have a lot of talent, um, but it doesn't always sort of come to fruition on the field when you just look at guys drafted. Um, and as far as Baylor, I mean, look, they they were they were bad last year. Uh, they were really good the year before, but I think Dave Aranda, um, another year under his belt, a lot of returning starters. They're not going to be. You know, they're not going to be in the top half of the Big 12, but I also don't think they're Kansas. I think they'll probably finish like seventh or something. But, you know, it's not – it was it was good for the, the Sun Belt to get a win over Kansas last year in week one, but it was also Kansas. Um, I think mm-hmm. I think a win over Baylor, to your point, even if it's a year where Baylor's not sort of at the top of the Big 12 would be big for them. But what chances do you give the Cajuns at Texas? I want to give them good chances. I really do. I mean, I, I'm. I think I'm as anxious as anybody in Canada too. So I, I really want Louisiana to win that game, and I, I think it's they've got a chance. I mean, I don't think it's a long shot. I think it's you know, it's a game where they can come with the same plan that they did against Iowa State, 
where it's just you can play physical football, you can win really one one facet of the game like they did against Iowa State and come out on top against Texas. Uh, Texas doesn't have much of a passing game. You can kind of zero in on the running backs that I know that they're very excited about in Austin, and that can help. So, And Louisiana's got all the depth in the world on defense to do that. So I, I don't think it's a long shot at all. I mean, I, I don't think anybody would really be surprised either if Louisiana won this game. Scott Watkins, our guest, at Scott Watkins TU on Twitter. Um, final two questions for you. Talking about pressure this morning on the show. What coach is under the most pressure this year in the Sun Belt, and what player is under the most pressure this year in the Sun Belt? Then we'll let you go. Uh, the most pressure, the coach would be Troy Chip Lindsay, without a doubt. I think he's on an extremely short leash this year. Uh, I, from what I've gathered, various conversations I've had, I think his floor to retain his job is extremely high. I think we're looking at double-digit wins and appearance in the title game. If he wins seven, eight games, Troy's looking at a new football coach in, in December. Player is a tough one. You, know, you want to look at Grayson McCall because you've got the follow-up you know, to the big freshman year. Is there going to be that sophomore slump, stuff like that? Um, right now, maybe Lane Hatcher because you're battling James Blackman for the quarterback job in Arkansas State. Uh, Justin Thomas is in a similar situation to Georgia Southern where he was penciled in as the starter. But now he's ineligible for the first two games, so you got an interesting situation there. But um, that I think that the first guy I would point out would be Grayson McCall. Scott Watkins, the man knows the belt, even if he can't smell alcohol. Uh, smell, spell alcohol. I assume you. I hope you can smell it. Hopefully, um, you know your taste and smell is there, and you're able to cover all the games you're assigned to this year. And um, you know, uh, the 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 big wild card in this whole season, obviously, is COVID with, you know, forfeitures this year rather than rescheduling. Um, there's really nowhere to go for these teams, so it'll be interesting. Scott Watkins, give him a follow on Twitter if you're not already, guys. That's Scott Watkins, TU on Twitter. Thanks for joining us on the great Scott Show. And um, the next time I bring you on, I'm going to throw some word at you to spell, so just be ready. I will be ready. I appreciate it. All right, man. All the best. Have a good one, brother. Me too. All right. That is Scott Watkins coming up next. Maddie Hudak. Hudak. Hudak covering the Saints. Co host of ESPN 100.3 in New Orleans. Writer, author for the Saints Wire. Been out of camp covering the Saints. We're talking to her next. What player on the Saints or players on each side of the ball under the most pressure? Speaking of pressure, man, you need a kicker to. Make those kicks under pressure. The Saints, they need another one because they released Brett Maher. Who's going to be the kicker for the Saints at the beginning of the season? I say you just go to Baltimore and whoever they have in camp, they're not going to keep him because they're going to keep Justin Tucker. Just sign that guy. It seems to work out well most of the time. It's ESPN 1420. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Scott's show. Great sports callers open think tank. If you're listening to ESPN 1420 live on your desktop or mobile device via our mobile app and connect to cars on our smart speakers, it is brought to you by Champagne's Market on the Wilson or Champagne's going 
the extra mile. Maddie Hudak uh, trying to get her. I'm having trouble reaching her at the moment, but uh, if we can, we'll chat with her before the 8 o'clock hour at some point. Saints looking for a new kicker. I was talking to Mike Dettuglia yesterday. Kicker, I doesn't it just feel like it's going to cost them two to three games this year, early in the year, just having complete garbage at that position? Will Lutz, injured groin, no surgery, shows up to camp, it's still hurt, kicks a few days, doesn't work out, gets surgery. Now you probably won't have him for like the first half of the season. Then, I mean, it's not like, oh, you know, an injury, a pair of groin. We're talking about a kicker here. You know, if it was his arm, sure, maybe he can come back a lot sooner, but it's his groin. Then you go out, you sign Brett Maher. That's how you pronounce it, according to the media guide. And Maher got Mahert, reached some injury settlement, and is now off the team. Who are the Saints going to bring in as kicker? Who's going to be kicking PATs, 32-yard PATs and field goals? Whoever is in Baltimore that's not Justin Tucker, that's what you want to go with. I mean, that's... That if history is any indication, do that every time, and they, they, you know, he might end up being the guy. They always carry a couple of kickers in camp. They never are going to release the best kicker in football, right? But why would they do that? It's Justin Tucker. Come on. ESPN fourteen twenty and dot com. So in terms of uh, who 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 is the kicker in Baltimore, who apparently booted some, you know, really, 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 really long field goal in preseason. Be a guy named Jake Verity. Of course, Baltimore's got to release him first. And you don't want to give anything up to sign him, knowing that Baltimore is, you know, you don't want to trade for him. You don't want to give anybody assets, knowing Baltimore's not going to keep him unless Justin Tucker gets hurt. So you just wait, you know, bring in a couple of old veterans that, you know, bring in Morton Anderson, who's probably like 78 now. Kidding. And then eventually you just wait until the last round of cuts and you bring in Verity, put him on the roster, and there you go. Of course, if he keeps kicking the way he is, some other team's going to scoop him up and be like, yeah, you're the guy. We're not waiting on our guy to get off of the pup list or wherever he goes, ESPN 1420.com. All right, phone line's back open for you, 269-1077, talking about pressure and overrated. Overrated and underrated. When you look at college football's top 25. I, I, there's a lot of love out there for Oregon. There's a lot of love for Mario Cristobal. A lot of love for Oregon being the most underrated team. I'm telling you right now, the team that's coming going to come out of the Pac-12 this year is Washington. That's who it is. 
the talent's there for a really good defense. I get it. But the 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 overrated team on there. Some say it's Iowa State. Look, you're re, you're returning Brees Hall, you're returning Brock Purdy. I mean, if that was Texas returning, you know, a quarterback and a star running back and all that other stuff, they might just have him ranked number 1. That's just Iowa State getting Purdy will Purdy ultimately will decide how, you know, how far Iowa State goes this year. And he's proven that he can be a good passer. But last year, he took a slight step back despite the team's success. He wasn't quite as good as he was earlier in his career. He takes that big step forward. I don't look at Iowa State as being overrated this year. I do look at Oregon as being overrated. Because their offense is not... You think of Oregon, you think of you think of the, the uniforms where you're like, do I need to adjust the settings on my TV? Is the color off? What's, what's up with the contrast? Let me, let me get the tracking right. Oh, no, they just look like neon highlighters that a temp would use in a law office. Or or they kind of look like the color of Mountain Dew, if we're being honest. But you think of Oregon and you think of that and you think of their their offense, you know, being explosive and all this fun and running. It's not the case. Right now, Oregon has this great defense and their offense is just... It's not that good. Anthony Brown, a former Boston College quarterback, is probably going to be the guy. Former starter transferred. It's not like Brown was good when he was at BC in his one year as a starter back in 2019. I I think they're, I think they're overrated. I think an underrated team is the Miami Hurricanes. AP put them, what, 14th? That you you talk about a, 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 a you know put you to sleep offense in Oregon Miami. They're gonna have a great offense. Derek King is gonna be one of the best quarterbacks in college football this year. He he doesn't turn the ball over. And really, they're being overlooked and downgraded because of his torn ACL late last year. But all reports are that he is good, he is ready to go, and he's going to be starting week one. They have one of the best wide receiver tandems in college football in Charleston Rambo and Mike Harley. I mean, why not? Their wide receivers' names are Rambo and Harley. I mean, first of all, just put John Rambo on a Harley and boom, you've got the meme come to life. Or you just start a whole new series based around it's you know some some buddy cop or former cops now turned mercenary or whatever Rambo and Harley I mean that is a that is a buddy buddy action movie franchise right there. But more than that, those guys are just they're great, they're elite, really really good, and very experienced. So. The offense with, you got Rhett Lashley as the OC. You got De'Ara King, who I think is going to be one of the best quarterbacks in football, who doesn't turn the ball over. And then you've got the tandem of Rambo and Harley. Like, King is the is the face of the movie franchise, and then Rambo and Harley eventually get like a spinoff. Miami's good. I think Ole Miss will be better in year two. They are ranked in the coaches poll. They're not ranked in the AP poll. I think they, if you 
slid them in there at the back end of the top 25. That's all right. Nevada is a team that is out of the G5 that's really good. It probably should be ranked if you're looking at overrated, underrated. But for me, I think Oregon is your overrated and Miami is your underrated when you look at the top 25. ESPN 1420, ESPN1420.com and the ESPN 1420 app. Coach Billy Napier, Louisiana's Raging Cajuns. Spoke to the media yesterday and was talking about a number of things in terms of the scrimmage, how they looked. And uh, here's a little bit of a little bit of what he had to say in terms of first scrimmage, what stood out. Rage Occasion head coach Billy Napier yesterday when he spoke to us. You know, I think um, it, it's about the same. You know, I mean, I think much like you would expect, um, you know, a lot of volume. You know, we've got a lot of offense and defense in at this point. Certainly, um, you know, tried to, to be relatively simple so we can evaluate the personnel. It's not necessarily about scheme. Um you know, see who can block and tackle, who can throw and catch, who you know, who can communicate without a coach standing behind the drill. Um, but, it, you know, I think we've got a lot of players who uh, don't have a ton of experience and, and got an opportunity to go out there and do it. So um, I would say kind of as expected, uh, a lot of bright spots, but certainly some areas where we need to shore some things up and, you know, I think it really is a great time for a player to really look in the mirror, you know, have integrity. You know, you are what you put on the film, you know, as an individual player. So your ability to do your job, right, be accountable, um, have the discipline to execute uh, and produce when it counts. So overall, um, great learning opportunity for all the players involved. Uh, and and I think that, you know, the key here is that we apply the things that we learned to this week and, and make improvement. Backup quarterback spot. A lot of people feel like maybe it's Chandler Fields or is it one of the transfers? Coach Napier says, yeah, it's a pretty, pretty competitive right now in terms of who gets to be number two on the depth chart. Uh, status quo, you know, I think um, – that's a very heated competition, and uh, both guys did some good things in the scrimmage and also some areas where they can do better. And so I think that that's play-to-play, period-to-period, practice-to-practice, you know, and certainly um, something we'll continue to work hard on and evaluate. We certainly don't have to make that decision today. Um, so we've got another good week here in front of us. Uh, and certainly a big week for both of those young men. ESPN 1420, ESPN1420.com, and the ESPN 1420 app. Cajuns ranked 23rd in both polls. The AP poll came out yesterday, and, you know, back before any of the polls came out, Coach Napier made it clear it didn't really matter to him. It's based on something you already did, not what you're doing ahead, not what you're doing now. Of course, 
you know, being able to be in both top 25 polls, if you're being real about it, tells you something about sort of the perception, maybe the standard that you're building within the program. How you feel about that, Coach? Well, I, I do think your first statement was correct. You know, I think it's pretty insignificant relative to what happens this season. Um, you know, what happens each, you know, we're going to have, you know, 12 opportunities in the regular season to, um, you know, prove ourselves one week at a time. Um, going into the season where we are, um, that's all, you know, kind of, uh, skeptic, skepticism based on the past, right? I do think it's humbling. Um, I certainly think that it basically says that people respect what you're doing, you know what you've done in the past and maybe what you're capable of in the future. But it is just that, right? It's potential. Uh, and we're not about potential here. We're about performance. And, you know, I think preseason polls are, um, you know, generate, likes and hits and um, views and all those things that, you know, drive um, media outlets. But we're going to focus on getting our team ready to be productive, right, and have production. Uh, but it is humbling, and um, I think a, a sign of respect, you know, that we're certainly thankful for. One more from Coach Napier, just how was the tackling in that first scrimmage, his response was? We had 15 missed tackles in the scrimmage, which is a good number. You know, I thought overall, um, you know, we had 15 missed tackle opportunities and uh, quite a few of those were similar, you know, so um, basic fundamental that we can coach uh, over the next week, try to create those scenarios for our players. We're actually going to recreate some of those situations today in our tackling circuit. Um, but in general, as a whole, I thought we tackled well. All right, there's Coach Billy Napier. Might have a little bit more from Coach coming up next hour. You know, does the team play hard? Going at it. You know, it's nice to have the recognition, but it doesn't mean anything yet. Got to go out there. Got to play with heart. Playing with heart. Josh Hart plays with heart. Josh Hart, when he was traded to the Pelicans, from the L.A. Lakers as part of the A.D. trade was the first one to sort of embrace the franchise, embrace New Orleans. And when he got on the court, he went all out. And the fans loved him for it. And as a restricted free agent, many thought he was going to be gone. Many thought he'd be part of a signing trade. Many didn't think he'd be back in New Orleans. I, on the other hand, was hoping he would be. Oh, Najee Marshall, do you really need Josh Hart? He is back. According to reports yesterday, three-year, $38 million agreement. Averaged eight rebounds last year. Second among guards only to Russell Westbrook. His defensive rebounding percentage was better than DeAndre Jordan or JaVale McGee or Jared Allen. Notable centers. Guy gets in there, gets dirty, man. Tore his thumb in April, missed the final 25 games last season, but was playing really well. And he'll be very much part of the rotation moving forward and continue to be very much a fan favorite. 
Speaking of getting paid, the process. Joel Embiid, four-year, $196 million. Goodness. A Supermax extension. Four years, $196 million. And guess what? He doesn't have to pay some of the percentage to an agent. Because guess who represented Joel Embiid in the negotiations? That'd be Joel Embiid. Ah, you know, Joel needs an agent. What is he doing? He can't represent himself. Well, he just got a four-year, $196 million Supermax contract extension that puts him under contract in Philly through 2026-2027. And when you add his extension to his current deal, that's a total of $261 million. I would say he did pretty good for himself. He's going to make $65 million over the final two years of his current deal. Then that one kicks in. It's fully guaranteed and has a player option in the final year, not a team option. And it doesn't have a provision that a, a, a provision in there that protects Philadelphia in the case of a, a, a gigantic injury, like the last deal he signed. Yeah, twenty-seven years old, represented himself, got paid. ESPN 1420, ESPN1420.com, and the ESPN 1420 app. Don't go anywhere. The man, the myth, the legend, Jay Walker, voice of Louisiana's Raging Cajuns, joins me next right here. It's the Great Scott Show, ESPN 1420. Hello, everybody. Welcome in to the 8 o'clock hour of the Great Scott Show. Joining me, as he does each Tuesday, the voice of Louisiana's Raging Cajuns, my friend, Jay Walker. Good morning, Jay. Good morning, young man. So um, this February will be how many years you've been working in this business? 16. No, that's not true because I've been in this market for 16 years, and I feel like you'd been here before that. 18. No, that's not true either because <laughs> I remember the first. Okay, I started in the radio at age seven. Okay. I, I, really? Yeah. How, how's that? I, I was I was just good for my age. Really? What did your voice sound like at seven? Um, a, a little bit higher than it is now. Oh, no, I bet it was more like this. Well, 15 after there. Oh. There was a lot of processing at AM radio. 15 after that. I don't know, man. I heard you out there talking. Yep. It's going to be 50 years in February. 50? So you started when you were in your teens. Mm-hmm. Not when you were, like, in your 30s, to be fair. <laughs> right. 50 years, man. That's amazing. It really is. I'm, you know, I'm not, there's there's a joke to be made here, and I'm not going to make it. Good no, job. You, can, you, you know, feel free to. I've been the butt of the joke before. I'm okay with that. Yeah. My, my shoulders are big and broad. You like to make jokes. A lot. Uh, no, that's awesome, man. I mean, how many how many years is it? How many years is this covering the Rage Cages coming this is, up this season? This is going to be my 30th football season on the radio. Wow. And before that, you did some TV stuff, so it's 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 been a minute. Yeah, if you go back to that, I think the first, the, the, well, I know the first game uh, was in 1984. So... I don't know. My math isn't that good, but it's been quite a few years. 
in all of those years, was there ever as much anticipation for a season no. as there is this one? No. That's where I was going with this whole exercise here. There you to go. Get to the, no. To get to the denouement. Dude, let's, let's, let's put this in perspective for a second. Please. And, and um, 10 years ago, 10 years ago, one of the publications came out and ranked all the college football teams, and the Cajuns were dead last. Now, they used that as a motivation. It was Mark Hutzpah's first year. They they went eight and four during the regular season and won the New Orleans Bowl. Thank you, Brett Bear. But 10 years ago, we're getting ready to start a season where the publications thought the Cajuns were the worst team in college football. And 10 years before that, they probably were. They might have been. Yeah. No disrespect. Just no, no. They, that's the reality. Yes. So you fast forward 10 years later, someone says, well, they're still going to be looked at that in the preseason. You'd be like, oh. And they went on. They had a great year. 10 years later, they're ranked 23rd in both polls preseason. First time ever, preseason-wise. And um, what I've said about this steady build from Coach Napier and his staff, what I said about last year and sort of the predictions that you hear this year is they don't sound outlandish. In fact, they're expected. I mean, you know, we we used to, before every football season, we'd say, hey, call us, give us your predictions for you know UL and the Saints and LSU or whatever. And we'd hear some and be like, yeah. You're a fan, like that's cool. I just I don't I don't know that that's going to happen. Yeah, there are a couple of people that we call. Well, Cajun six and six, and I kind of snort to myself, you know. <laughs> and now it's like is there's there's nothing that they can say where I can be unless it's like they think it's going to be awful on the other side of it. But you don't hear that. It's kind of like yeah, I mean, the being ranked twenty third in both polls was not the surprise would have been if they weren't ranked at all. Like it's 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 expected at this point. Last year. The success they had was not a surprise at all. In 2011, 10 years ago, I mean, that was <laughs> the season was a blast, but it was surprising. That was part of, I mean, that was part of what it was. Now it's like you steadily build it the way they have. I mean, Coach Napier, I said this yesterday um, when I was talking to Mike Detillier. You know, you hear Coach Napier. I played some of his his media uh, conference call yesterday, last hour, and he'll. Sometimes he likes to kind of keep it on the surface coach-wise, but he was asked last week about the depth of the team this year and having those nine players come back and how much that helps. And he said, this is coming from him. It's not like he's a guy that constantly overly promotes how great his team is. Like we're we have the most depth because of how we've recruited and because of the way that our staff has evaluated talent. The super seniors help, but even if they didn't have that extra year of eligibility, we would still have the deepest team we've had since we started here four years ago. And coming from him, that that's saying something because he's not a guy again that overly sells things. I mean, he, it's and that really made my ears perk up. So you think of the depth of the team this year being ranked twenty third, what they potentially can, um, you know, accomplish. You know, September fourth and beyond that, the rest of the season. Like you said, in, in your 
nearly 50 years in this business (laughs) and 30 years on the radio and more than that covering Louisiana, your first game covering the Cajuns in 1984. You've never seen this much anticipation. for No, uh, you know, it's uh, let's let's look back when we thought eight games was the ceiling for this program. Right now, eight games is the floor for this program. I mean, do you do you understand if the Cajuns were to go out this year and go eight and four, how disappointed? Huge. How disappointed with eight wins, and understandably so. Well, yeah, and and now, am am I going to call if? And I don't think it's going to happen. But if if they if they go eight and four, am I going to call the season a failure? Absolutely not. But am I going to be a little disappointed? Yeah, yeah. I would I would be very surprised if they were to go eight and four. Well, you know, you we we all know what the great X factor is, and that's of course staying healthy. Um, but we'll see. But but you know, I I there are landmines on this schedule this year because I think that there are some teams in this league that were on the verge of being pretty doggone good that I think have a chance to be pretty doggone good this year. Um, like who? Georgia State is the first one that comes to mind, Scott. You know, they, they had a freshman quarterback last year named Quad Jackson who um, who did some really, really good things. He also did some really, really freshman things. And I think that um, I think he's poised to take a big step forward this year. And if he does, then I think Georgia State is going to be one of those teams that folks are going to look at and say, hey, these folks are pretty good. I think Troy is going to be a lot better than what they've been the last couple of years. Um, and, you know, we we are all waiting for Texas State to not suck. And this is Jake Spavital's third season. And season three is kind of, if you're going to do it, this is kind of the year you're going to do it. So I'm interested to see what happens with them. He's got a pretty big paycheck in regards to comparing him to other Sunbelt coaches, not Billy Napier, but the rest of the conference. Mm-hmm. And then you look at, well, where's the win-loss record? You know, you yeah. look at, at Chadwell, you look at Napier, you're like, okay. And you look at Spavadol, you're like, wait, I, I, I'm just throwing it out there in terms of, because we were talking last hour about players and coaches under pressure this year. And it was, it was geared more toward the NFL, but, I planned on this hour kind of seeping it over into the world of college football. Um, is Levi Lewis under the most pressure for players this year for UL just by nature of his position? And as we said, the expectation is as high as it's ever been in the history of the program. Well, I think his performance is going to have a lot to do with what kind of a year that the Cajuns have. I, you know, I, Look, there's, there's no question about that. Now, I still believe the strength of this team is its defense. I don't think the strength of this team is the offensive side of the football. Um, And good defense can cover up some sins, but he's the quarterback. Okay. So the quarterback, I don't care what school you're talking about. Your number one quarterback's a pretty damn important guy. It is. But when you consider that it's his fifth year playing and well, and 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 you also, and you also consider that we're still not sure who number two is. Um, no, I mean, it's, it, it's very important that he stay healthy and play well. Those two things, if you're going to have a special season, Levi's got to do those two things. He's got to stay healthy and he's got to play well. Coach Nape, I think, I think having more 
reps, more continuity with the wide receivers will will do a big part there. I hope that that's the case. Um, you talk about backup. Yeah, you have the transfer from uh, Fresno State, Ben Woolrich. Woolrich, and then Chandler Fields, and Coach Napier said yesterday it's pretty tight there and continues to be in terms of who would be number two on the depth chart. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I've said this many times, the, the backup quarterback's most popular guy on the team. Some places. And some, well, and, and no, I think in just about all places, if you're, you know, I'm mean, not in Green Bay, <laughs> no, not in Green Bay, uh, not with the Saints, but, um, but no, I, I, I think most of the time, look, as soon as you're watch college football, as soon as your quarterback goes out and has a bad day and then listen to their fans on Monday, talk about how the other guy needs to have a chance. Man, I remember Oh, five. You had Jerry Babb. You had Michael Desimo. Babb got hurt. Desimo played, played good. Babb came back, played good. And yet you would get calls on Bird's Eye View, and it's like, what? whichever guy was playing, everyone's like, you got to play the other one. Like, what's going on here? Which, and, they tied for the quarterbacks. and they tied for the conference championship that year. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I. It's going to um, – it's going to be fun. You know, Coastal Carolina, or as they are now known, COVID Carolina, um, they play the weakest schedule in America this year. Of course they do. And so they're probably, you know, I don't I don't know what, what game the Appalachian State game is, but they're going to be undefeated going into that game. I think they'll be 6-0 or 7-0, whatever it is. It's in Boone, though. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. But um, but but you talk about a team that over twentieth. You talk about a team that by October twentieth is going to be getting so much play about how good they are, and they're singing that. And you look at the six teams that they're playing, and you go, "Yeah, they could lose." All right, so they they go to Buffalo. They're at Arkansas State. I mean, they have Kansas at home. Kansas is awful. Like they. They could stub their toes somewhere before then. I suppose that's true, but I'm not expecting it. They will. Another team can't go out and beat them. They would have to go out and lose. I think, uh, and you know what the difference is. Yeah, I do. I do. But I, do, I think it's it's worth. I think it's worth this narrative with Coastal. Um, I'm not making jokes about them, and all, and I, I mean this sincerely. You could say this about any team college, pro, high school, when you're a team that doesn't have a lot of success and then suddenly, boom, you have a ton of success all at once, not everybody can handle that. Not every team can handle that. And you see certain teams that the following season, it, it either it either drives them or it, it can really destroy is too strong of a word. Let's just say fracture a locker room. Yeah, I and and I think if they had, don't get a big head is all I'm saying. That's I, I'm saying. I think if they had a um, a little bit more challenging schedule at the beginning of the season, but wouldn't that give them more reason to sort of take their foot off the gas a little bit, look in the mirror and be like, man, this mother looks good. Well, you know they're they're gonna they'll they'll be they'll be looking at their mullets, I'm sure. I think App State's winning the the East. 
you know, there's a part of me that hopes you're right. And then there's a part of me that says, you know what? I would really like to have a shot at the beach chickens. Tell you what, man, they come to Cajun Field. The the, the Cajuns, you talk about schedules and ease. Um, you got Texas week one. Being in the Sun Belt West makes for a more navigable schedule than being in the East because the East is just you got App and Costa who are good and you got three other schools and you mentioned Georgia State as being underrated. You between Georgia State, Troy and Georgia Southern, though I, I can see all three of those teams winning games that they're not favored to win or supposed to win. I think the drop off after Arkansas State is 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 big. I mean I think the bottom of I think South Allen, ULM, I think they're I don't think they're good programs. I'm not trying to be mean. I just being in the West this year gives Louisiana a great chance to be hosting a conference championship game. You know, the the three schools that you mentioned, you know, we, we talked about Jake Spavital. He's in his third season, and there are folks that are going to say, okay, if Texas State's going to make a step, this is going to be the year that they do it. And then your other two programs, which have been traditionally not good, both have new coaching staffs this year. Um, you know, I think that the – I think that there are some coaches in the Sunbelt Conference that um, folks are going to be looking hard at if they don't have a good season. And I think um, I think Chip Lindsey at Troy. Talking about pressure, he's the coach that's under the most pressure this year. Um, Chad Lunsford at Georgia Southern. You know, they were 7-5 and five last year. And they don't like 7-5 and five in Statesboro. Um they do I, like the triple option. I, I I think that those two coaches, if if we're going to start talking about a hot seat in this league, um, I think I think those two coaches are are, are probably on it. ESPN fourteen twenty and dot com top twenty five. You got the eight people that came out yesterday. Mm-hmm. A lot of people think Oregon is underrated. I feel like Oregon is. Um, I think you think of Oregon, you think of this high flying offense. Their defense is great. Their offense, I, I, I don't think, is very good. Um, underrated, I look at Miami, and I think De'Ara King's a really good quarterback, and then you've got Rambo and Harley, the best receiving tandem and the best name of – I mean, it's just – it. Miami's going to be better than people expect. Oregon – Washington's winning the Pac-12. I'll go ahead and tell you that right now. Who is your most overrated and underrated team in terms of preseason? Well, you know, before we talk about my overrated and underrated team, you know, you just mentioned two teams. We're going to find out early, okay, because Miami plays Alabama and Oregon plays Ohio State. So we're going to find out early who's overrated, underrated, whatever. Neither is going to win those games, but how do they look in defeat? Uh, We'll see. Rambo Rambo and Harley. You know, the the team that's ranked high, well, there are two teams that are ranked in the top 10 that I don't think are top 10 clubs. Cincinnati's one of them. Where the girls call me daddy. Um, You know, I, I think Cincinnati's got a nice team, but I think they're being overvalued to start the season, and I think some of that is the backlash. It is. Over them not being in the college football playoff last year. It is. Um, and the, the other team is, and, and I understand they came out of nowhere, had a really good season last year, but North Carolina, I mean, I'm just, I'm just not buying them in as a top 10 team, not who like 
it seems like every year there's a team that doesn't start the season ranked and they end in the top 10. Someone asked me earlier uh, or yesterday, they're like, who's going to be that team this year? To which yesterday I responded, I have no idea. I don't either. I have no idea. Um, I, I, I don't think Ole Miss is finishing in the top 10. I don't. I do think they're not ranked in the AP poll. I, I do think Lane Kiffin's going to be much better in year two, and um, they're going to be better in the SEC than I think people are anticipating. But they still have to play Alabama. They still have to play Auburn. I didn't say they, they were still have to play 10. LSU. They still have to play Texas A&M. They're going to get an opportunity, I think, to show how good they are. But if they're going to finish in the top ten, they got to go three and one against those schools. Yeah, they're not I don't think that's going to happen. Not not in the top ten. No, I, like I said, but fifteen, sixteen, something like that. I just they're going to be better than people are giving them credit for. That was the sure. only thing I could think of in terms of teams that weren't ranked in yesterday's poll. But I don't know, man. I mean, I it's like. No one saw North Carolina come. Like, whoever it is, no, like, when I say I have no idea, because no one has any idea. Because every year there's a team where it's just like, what the hell? I mean, you know, even Coastal Carolina last year, no one was expecting them to, to even be good, like, in the Sun Belt. And then they were nationally good. And I know that they don't have fans around here. I get it. I understand, as Jay called them, COVID Carolina. But... You know, I, in I've, my mind, I'm I've, COVID I, Carolina. I, <laughs> I, can't, I can't smell the treats. <laughs> I can't nice. smell anything. Nice. Um, can't taste. I, I'm gonna. I, I have. As my good friend Mike Mitchell used to say, "I've been holding back on you." Oh no. Um, I've gotten to the point where there's not a doubt in my mind that they found a way not to play that game last year. I, I, I have, I've given them the benefit of the doubt. I've, I've kept my skepticism to myself, but, um, but after media days, I'm, I'm just, I'm just saying what I, what I think. Well, I think we can most, most opinions. Okay. Especially like sitting here. Okay, if we're going to have an opinion, opinions should be based on data. Not if not if you hang out on social media. a lot. No, no, <laughs> of course not. But opinions are based on data. I got enough data now to where I believe that Coastal Carolina found a way not to play that game. I think we can all agree on one thing. If the rule last year was the rule this year, the game would have been played. Absolutely. There's no way it wouldn't have been. The rule this year is if you can't feel the team, you have to forfeit. Yep. Meaning, oh, shoot, we had one close kind. Okay, well, you guys can't play. We're not going to forfeit the championship. You know what I mean? Um, And and by the way, okay. Incentives in that contract. For for those of you who are listening who can't wait to get on a message board, um, don't come back and ask me what my data is because I'm not going to share it, okay? I'm just telling you, I got enough to make me believe this. Is it fair to say you kind of went into it wanting to believe it in no. the first place? No, actually, I wanted just the opposite. Really? I wanted to believe that it was just it was just bad luck. I wanted to believe that, but I don't. 
ESPN fourteen twenty ESPN fourteen twenty dot com. You know, you know what, you know what started, you know what start really started my skepticism. You had Brian Maggard on the morning after, and the uh, game was the morning after they were they were there in Myrtle Beach the morning after they got the announcement the game and and you gave him a chance to to go ahead and say that it was kind of on the up and up and he said. I think I'll let everybody draw their own conclusions. And when he said that, I went, "Whoa!" And this was Whoa. Before, at this moment in time, fans were rabidly irrational, understandably so. Mm-hmm. That's going to happen in the moment. Um, when he said it, it's not like if he were to say it like now. I guess is what I'm saying. You know what I mean? It was like it was a moment in time where it was like, "Wait, what now?" You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, thought I had that soundbite in there. I can't find it, but it. Uh, no, I'm. You'll have a hard time convincing me otherwise now, based on some things that I've learned. Okay. ESPN fourteen twenty and dot com. Well, it's in the past. Yep. Doesn't change anything now. Um, Can the Sun Belt this year be the representative in the New Year's Six for the first time? Um, It'll take help, right? Well, you know, the thing that, the thing that, that makes me want to say yes is Cincinnati's schedule. You know, look, last year, if you were just talking about resumes, simply talking about resumes, Coastal Carolina had a better resume than Cincinnati did. Um. This year, Cincinnati's got a chance to just, you know, go ahead and prove that they're that they're not only worthy of being New Year Six, but maybe worthy of being in the college football playoff. But there are a couple of landmines on that schedule this year. Now they can lose one of them and still be the group of five representative, but I don't think they can lose two. And they got the potential to lose a couple with their schedule this year. ESPN 1420, ESPN1420.com, and the ESPN 1420 app. And look, there's, conversely, okay, once again, just looking at schedules. If Coastal Carolina goes to Boone and they win, they have a shot to be 12-0 and mm-hmm. when they come to Cajun Field and find a way not to play it again. Can't do that this year, Jay. Can't, no, they can't. Can't do that. No, they can't. <laughs> you just really want to be calling a game at Cajun Field in early December. I wouldn't mind. Particularly against that team. I wouldn't mind. Yeah. I think uh I think App's gonna be the team in the I, again, my thing with Coastal is how do you handle success? Mm-hmm. You look at the personality of a team, how do they handle it? Yep. Um, like you said, it helps that the schedule is what it is. And they're you can say what you want about preseason rankings and they don't matter. I know coaches say that. They they do matter in terms of perception. Um they matter when, like, if you're, if, if, let's take the Cajuns for instance. If they beat Texas, they will, they will jump up in the top twenty-five. From there, it will be hard for them to move up a few spots, give or take, week to week, because of who they are playing on the schedule. Um, if by the time they play App or Liberty or something ranked, voters are more likely to do it. And I get it, the committee's not looking at all of that stuff, but the reality is 
What's the perception of a program? What's in your mind? How surprising is this? Did we expect them to be good in the first place? Are we going to look at this as more of a fluke or reality? Like all those things come into play. And so that game against Texas, if you lose it, you're out of the top 25. If you win it, you're probably in the teens. And as long as you don't lose, you're probably going to be there for the majority of the season. The Cajun season is is, the success for the Cajun season is not going to depend on the Texas game. You know, it, it, no, I mean, if you're talking about, gee, are you going to finish in the top ten? Well, then, yeah. But I, but let's, you know, that's not a must-win game. Okay, there's more, to, there's more. There's more to gain than lose. Absolutely, I've said that consistently. But it, it is, it is quite an opportunity for the program on the national level. And we were saying this at the beginning of the year last year. Last year, you're true, but that game came together how many weeks before the game? Oh, I know. And it was the buildup was a little different. They weren't sure if they were going to have a season. It was it was more of a. It wasn't the national game on Fox correct. with Tim Brando doing the play by play. In college football, the start of last year was weird because it, you were ranking teams who weren't even going to play for like a yeah, month. Yeah, you know it what? Was all let me. It, it was different than me, what's, what's. Let me tell you something that chaps my ass about last year. Okay. Here we go. Are the people who said, "Yeah, that, yeah," but that was last year. It was COVID. It was this. It was that and failed to give this program any credit at all for the success they had. This program, and Coastal for that matter. Um, Who is somebody that comes to your mind that did Oh, that? my gosh. I don't know about national pundits that have, that have said it on Twitter, but you, know, you hear that from fans everywhere. And, and it's like, come on, guys. You know, you're, you're, you're 10-1. and one. Talk about the, the, the national ranking to start the season. Let me, let me tell you why it's important. If you want to get into that New Year's Six position as a member of the G5, where you start means a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, last year, there were, what, two two spots between Cincinnati and Coastal? Is that right? If Coastal had started the season ranked, they would have been in the group of There's no question. The group of five There's New no Year's Six Bowl. They'd have been in. And when someone says the college football committee doesn't look at that, I don't believe them. No, I don't believe it either. You never said that, Jay? Oh hell, I don't know what I, I said from you one. You told me that once last year. I, I, I think, I think, from, I think they say the rankings don't matter; they don't take it to account. But I think subconsciously, when you're looking at a board, the way you view a team, whether or not, oh well, this is sustained or this is more of a surprise, a fluke, fair or not, it's just it, it's it's all part of the process. Yes, and and I remember the the head of the selection committee last year. <laughs> Pardon me. When it was brought up about Coastal's resume versus Cincinnati's resume. Well, we watched them play. We just thought Cincinnati was better. Right. The data meant nothing. No, they use the data when it benefits them. Sure. When it doesn't, they're like, eyeballs. Eyeballs. That's what that that's, Eyeballs. And that's what they're going to continue. Sure. It matters. Um, before we get to TTT. Sarkland back, you mentioned that you think that the strength of the Cajuns this year will be on the defensive side of the ball. Texas with Sark, with a new quarterback, I think are really going to try to run the football on September 4th. Well, they've got a dynamic running back. I, I would imagine that they would. That, that to me, is the biggest key to the game, and the Cajuns slowing that down. And if defense is the strength and they've got 
very athletic linebackers that can fill the gap, and you've got some big guys up front. Big Sauce, Taylor Humphrey, you got Zion Hill, guys with pro potential. Make the new guy try to beat you with his arm, and then on the other side, you know, don't turn it over. And everyone talks a lot about the win over Iowa. It was historic. It was great. It was two special teams type. Well, they okay. That they earned. I'm not trying to they take won, it away from They them. won the kicking game. Okay? They won the kicking game. I, I think... I think the key to beating Texas are going to be the same keys this year. It's going to be win the turnover battle, don't give up the big play, and win the kicking game. You do those three things, it's a game in the fourth quarter. If you do all three of those things. Now, Texas has got a running back that's very, very capable, but you know what? Um, let's see, that dude from Iowa State, wasn't he first team all Big 12 last year? Why is... Wh- what is one of the big reasons Iowa State's preseason top 10? It's yeah. not just Brock Purdy. It's no. Brees Hall. Exactly. And 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 he got 100 yards, okay? Didn't feel like it, though. Well, you know, look, they got 84 yards total offense in the second half. So you keep Texas from getting the big play in the running game. Now, look, Sark is sandbagging. You know, when you start talking, well, neither quarterback looks real. That, that, that's a sandbag, okay? Whoever they put out there is going to be a good quarterback. Why? It's Texas! <laughs> oh, ESPN1420.com. All right, we're going to take a quick timeout. Want to circle back, talk more college football. A little bit on the SEC and LSU in the final segment, but we got we got to hurt some ears next or just annoy or bother or make you feel awesome in a totally terrible way. Because up next it's terrible. Tune Tuesday on ESPN1420.com. Final segment here on the Great Scott Show. For those of you that listen on demand via the podcast, you missed uh, incredible, terrible tune Tuesday. Found out a little bit about Frank Mills. Oh, yeah? Frank Mills was a member of a group called the Bells in the early 70s and left the group just before they had a huge hit record called Stay a While, which I have featured on Terrible Tune Tuesday. He recorded uh, Music Box Dancer like five years before. And then they went ahead and released a song, and Music Box Dancer was the B-side, and sent it to a top 40 station by mistake. And the guy listened to the A-side and said, why are you sending me this? Flipped it over, started playing Music Box Dancer, and then it became a hit. And then there was a TV station in Nashville that started using the song on its closing credits, and disc jockeys in Nashville started playing it, and that's how it became a hit. That's wild, man. That's crazy, huh? Uh, anything can be a hit. That's one thing we've learned with Terrible Tune Tuesday. Including Stay a While by the Bells. What a horrible song. Jay, in terms of uh, win-loss differential, is LSU going to be one of the more improved teams in college football this year? Well, if you look at the fact that we're 5-5 five and five last year, in terms of record, yeah, probably so. Um, Where are they going to finish in the West, third? 
I think it's going to be hard for them to finish any higher than third. Yeah. Bama um, and A&M are one and two. Bama and A&M are both really good. They're one and two. And, um, and you know, LSU has got a few, you know, they got, you know, I, I don't think their out of conference schedule is, is difficult at all, but you know, they got to play Florida. They got to play A&M. They got to play Auburn. They got to play Alabama. They got to play Ole Miss. Um, you know, I think I think nine wins is probably their ceiling. Uh, if they would have more than nine wins, I would say they were having a hell of a year. Um, but you know what's unfair, I think? Because of the year that they had in 2019, every LSU team from now on is going to be compared to that. And that's not fair. Because that's the best football team ever. They will never live up to that. Oh, no, again. never. Never again. 15-0, and 0, every offensive record in the books. No, it was Highs stupid. The trophy it was stupid how good they a, were. By a landslide. Yeah, and I, it, it, you know. ESPN 1420.com. That's going to do it for the Great Scott Show. It's always fun, Jay. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. I will talk to you guys tomorrow. Working on having a former NFL receiver in with me, among other things. We'll have some fun. In the meantime, Greeny's next. It's ESPN 1420.